You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Samson was a man of great strength and strength. But he was also a man of even greater weaknesses. As we will read, we'll see Samson was bold before men. But he was weak before women. And he couldn't resist in telling his secrets, especially to women. And although he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he yielded his body to the appetites of the flesh. Nothing can lead to more sorrow and regret than living a partial life for the kingdom. Perhaps one of the more common ways this happens is by giving in to our temptations. In today's message, Pastor Dave introduces us to the judge Samson, whose life is a perfect example of the failures of the flesh and the victories of the spirit. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 13 as he begins his message, A Man of Contrasts. You are We're in chapter 13. So if you've turned in your Bibles to chapter 13. So as we now come to chapter 13, we're introduced to a man named Samson. Introduced to a man named Samson. And we begin what has been called one of the most intriguing, interesting and instructive stories in all of the Bible. As I prayed, there are so many lessons in Samson, in these four chapters that are dedicated to Samson. So many lessons. One commentator said this, quote, Samson is an important example of unfulfilled potential. Though he did a great things for God, It is staggering to consider what he might have done and been for God, unquote. Many consider Samson to be a man of contrasts, hence our title. There are scholars who say that he was unpredictable and undependable, saying that he was double-minded. He had one foot in the world, one foot in the things of God. You know what James says about those who are double-minded in James 1 verse 8 says, double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unfortunately, we see that in Samson. We see that. Samson was a man of great strength and strength, but he was also a man of even greater weaknesses. As we will read, we'll see Samson was bold before men, but he was weak before women. And he couldn't resist in telling his secrets, especially to women. And although he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he yielded his body to the appetites of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And walk is a common picture of traveling the road of life. 
and making progress upon this road of life. How would you say you're progressing in the road of life? It's also, many people have a distinct walk. They can be identified by their walk. I'm thinking of John Wayne. You could always look and see John Wayne on the set by his walk. He had a distinct walk. I've been told I have a distinct walk. One time we were visiting my grandchildren in Colorado, and I have a grandson now. He's 15 now, probably almost as tall as I am. But at the time, he was only this big. And we went in Glenwood Springs, and we had to go someplace, and he came with me. came with Pop-Pop. And as we were walking back, Beatrice and my daughter Tracy, and everybody was laughing so much because he was walking just like me. We were walking. Looked like, he looked like a mini-me walking down. It was pretty cool, so... But we have a distinct walk, and we can be identified by that walk. So how do you walk? What can others tell by your walk? It should be a walk in the Spirit. It should be a walk in the Spirit. What does that mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, first, it means that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And secondly, it means that you're open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's a great book out by Lloyd Pulley. I have a couple copies in the back. It's called Under His Influence, Yield It to the Holy Spirit. And it talks about how our life is to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, walking in the Spirit means that the pattern of your life is after the influence of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit influence your life? Well, first, He reveals to us His will through the message of the Bible. He influences us through others who walk in the Spirit. And he influences us through the inner direction that we become more sensitive to and as we respond better as we mature in Jesus Christ. There are ways you can tell if someone's walking in the Spirit or not. They look a lot like Jesus. Their walk is a lot like Jesus. Jesus told us that the mission of the Holy Spirit would be to promote and speak of him. You can find that all through the Gospel of John. When someone walks in the Spirit, they listen to what the Holy Spirit says and as he guides them in the path and the nature of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that is conforming us into the image of Jesus. Life in the Spirit is not legalism, nor is it license, nor a middle between them. It's a life of faith and a life of love that is above all other false ways. There's only one, there is no way anyone can fulfill the lust of the flesh as they are truly walking in the Spirit. The two simply don't go together. The Holy Spirit doesn't move in us to gratify our fallen desires and passions. It moves in us to teach us more about Jesus Christ and guide us to a path to Jesus. Many people will ask me, many people will say, well, Pastor, well, Dave, What's the key to righteous living? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Not living under the denomination of the law. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Luther had a pretty cool quote about that. He says, I do not deny that the lust of the flesh includes carnal lust, but it takes in more. It takes in all the corrupt desires which believers are more or less infected as pride, hatred, covetousness, and impatience, unquote. Unfortunately, we're going to read today in verse 25 that Samson is empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
He's empowered by the Holy Spirit, but he did not walk in the Spirit on a consistent basis. Samson was called for one reason and one reason only, and that was to declare war on the Philistines. Yet he fraternized with the enemy and tried to even marry a Philistine woman. While he fought for the Lord during the day, he seemed to disobey all the Lord's commandments at night. He was a man of contrast. He was a man of contrast. <laughs> One commentator said this, the only thing dependable about Samson was you could depend upon him to be undependable. His given name was Samson, and it means sunny. Always reminds me of a Bobby Hebb song. Or Sun Man. But he ended up in total blindness because of his sight. And I also believe that he felt separated from God, and he was in total blindness until God moved mightily at the end there. We'll study that. There are many who think that Samson's life paralleled that of the nation Israel. And we'll look at that. In other words, his life was a picture of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We just, we've been studying the book of Judges and we've seen that. Israel, under a particular judge, would prosper. They would have peace. They would have tranquility. They would have all sorts of ways. But when that judge died, what would happen? Israel would slide back into sin. Slide back in rebellion. Slide back into disobedience. In other words, Samson's life was a picture of highs and lows. Sin and repentance. Disobedience and discipline. One minute he was loving God and doing everything he could. The next minute he was rebelling against him. Sometimes I think my life is like that. Sometimes I think that my life is such a quick change. One minute I'm loving God. And I'm worshiping him. And the next minute I'm going, ah, what's going on? God hasn't changed. God's the same. Samson is the last in the line of judges that God sent to Israel. Remember how we define the Hebrew word for judges? Deliverer. The Hebrew word for judges is defined as deliverer. There are four chapters, as I said, in the book of Judges that deal with Samson. And as we begin in chapter 13, we're introduced to his parents, which are very important. Your parents are very important. And we're also introduced to a great promise from the Lord in chapter 13. And as we begin 13.1, let's read 13.1a. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is becoming very monotonous, is it not? It's becoming very monotonous. The cycle begins once again. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And there are other five other times recorded in those first chapters that we read about Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel has not learned their lesson. I mean, how many times do they have to get hit with the wooden spoon? Israel did not learn their lesson. But let's not be too quick to judge them. Because I venture to say that some of us are very much like that. It takes a lot before we learn our lesson. Once again, the cycle of sin, bondage, repentance, deliverance, blessing, and sin again continued in the nation's history. Sadly, as I said, I see this all too often in people's lives. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think a lot of us have the same type of cycle that the nation Israel had? Sin, bondage, repentance, deliverance, blessing. Sin, bondage, repentance. Why do you think that is? Yeah, all those are true. You're right. I think it's because they can't settle on the finished work of the cross. We cannot settle our hearts on the finished work of the cross. And therefore our lives become a series of ups and downs. We're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine except accepting by faith Jesus' words. It is finished. The work of salvation has ceased. Now walk in the newness of life. Walk in the Spirit. Israel struggled once again. Struggled once again. And God's hand once again has to come down upon them. Read 1b. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the longest oppression in the book of Judges. This is the longest time Israel was under the Philistines or under an oppressive group because of God's judgment. 40 years. The Israelites were dominated by the Philistines, the dreaded Philistines. Very interesting, an aside, the number 40. Very interesting. It always means and associated with judgment, testing, and trials. The number 40 is always associated with that. How many days did it rain for the flood? 40. How many years did Israel wander in the wilderness? 40. How many days was Jesus tempted? Forty. So it's always associated with that. God's trying to get Israel's attention. It's interesting to this point, and unlike other times, something's missing. Something's missing because verse 2 starts out, now there was a man from Zorah. Could somebody tell me what's missing? Something is blatantly missing here and the birth of Samson, as we read this story in 13, that was in and before all the other judges. There's something missing, my Bible study students. That's missing. Israel never cried out to the Lord. Israel never cried out to the Lord. This missing in this chapter, you know, in all the other judges, when you see all the other judges, it got to a point where things were so bad that Israel went into despair. Remember the four D's? Israel went into despair, and they cried out to the Lord. That doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen here. Maybe it's because several things. Let's look at it. In chapter 15, verses 9 through 13, you don't have to go there. I'm just, we're going to be there in a couple of weeks. But it says that the Philistines disarmed the Jews. They disarmed the Jews So they didn't have any fear of rebellion. And maybe the Jews didn't have any way to get back at them because they they weren't armed. They didn't have their swords. They didn't have things like that. But it also appears that the Jews were apparently pretty content with things the way they were. And they really didn't want Samson to rock the boat. They were kind of happy with the status quo. They were kind of happy with what was going on. You know, what I got from this, when I read this, it's scary how easily and quickly we can become accustomed to bondage and even accept it into our lives. 
We can become easy. In fact, I'll go a step further. It becomes comfortable to us. It becomes comfortable to us and it becomes a way of life. And we're afraid to leave it because we're secure, believe it or not, in bondage. We don't like it. We don't want it. But there's a security there. Think about it. There's a security there. Some think that it's too tough to follow the Lord. Some say, you know what? It's too hard to follow the Lord. Well, if I ever stand up and sit up here and say it's easy to follow the Lord, you can yank me off with a stick. Because it is tough to follow the Lord. It is tough. They're right to say it's tough to follow the Lord. When you're following the Lord in the Spirit, you're in a battle. There's a battle that takes place. And the fact that there is a battle should wake us up. If you don't know you're in a battle, you will always lose. Also, the fact that the battle teaches us there's an effort required to walk in the Spirit. God just is a knock us on the head and drag us around. We're not robots. We've got to seek it. We've got to want it. We've got to want it. Somebody once asked me when I was witnessing to them. Somebody asked me once, well, if I accept the Lord, do I have to change? I said, no, you don't have to change, but the Lord will begin to change your life. You're going to want to change. You're going to see how much it is you're going to want to change. Well, then I don't like it. I like my life the way it is. Okay. Okay. God doesn't knock us over the head. We have to seek it. We have to block out other things. We have to seek him. When we're talking about flesh, when we're talking about fleshly desires, it doesn't mean this flesh in our bodies. It means the old man. It means our old ways. In Romans 6, 6, we were told that we inherited from Adam, but the old man was crucified on the cross. The old man was put to death on the cross. He's now dead and gone. He doesn't exist anymore. Behold, the new man. If anybody be in Christ, he is a new creation. New. You're new in Christ. The flesh is our inner man that exists apart from the old man and the new man, which is trained in rebellion by old nature, the world, the devil. We have a rebellious nature. And even though the old man was crucified with Christ, is dead and gone, he influenced us throughout our lives. We're influenced. Remember what the scripture says? They're at Flesh and the spirit are at enmity with one another. There's a battle going on in our spirit and our flesh are fighting. The old man, it's happening with me right now. I've got a little tiny dog that I absolutely love. I absolutely love her. But she has two years of a rebellious attitude and something else training. So when I want to train her some way, we have a battle. And it's a regular knockdown, drag out fight, I might add. Wow. I couldn't believe such a little animal could be so obstinate and so stubborn. And I think I overheard her talking to a rabbit. I can't believe that such an old man can be so obstinate and stubborn. We've got a battle going on. My goodness. And sometimes she wins the battle. Ha ha. Well, see, that's what happens in our body. The flesh, the old man, and the spirit, the new man. They're fighting. They're at enmity one another. Why else would Paul say, the things I want to do, I don't do. 
The things I don't want to do, I do all the time. But Paul's answer is still the same. Jesus Christ. Who can save me from this wretched body? Jesus Christ. When we focus on him, which was the answer, when we focus on Christ, when we focus and believe the finished work of the cross, the new man takes over. The new man soars. We're walking in the Spirit. But the battle rages. And this is what's happening in Samson. We're going to see that as the battle rages in his heart. So, Again, verse 1, again, the children of Israel did evil in sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Verses 2 to 5. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So they received this great, wonderful promise from God. We're told that Manoah was from the tribe of Dan. He lived in a town called Zorah. His wife was barren. She bore no children. If you've studied scripture, if you study the times that we're talking about, this was a disgrace. This was thought of as there's something wrong. This was thought of as you were a sinner because God was punishing you because you didn't have any children. What's interesting here is God wants to do something really special. He wants to do something really great, so he sends his best. He sends an angel of the Lord. And this is his best. And from now on, every time you see this thing, as we saw before in the book of Judges, this angel of the Lord is none other than Jesus Christ. It is a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ, way before Bethlehem. Way before Bethlehem. Just like when the visitors came and told Abraham he was going to have a son in his old age, the one talking Abraham called Lord. It was Jesus. And like Sarah, Hannah, even Elizabeth, Manoah's wife was unable to bear children. But the angel came and gave specific instructions about the child's upbringing. The angel of the Lord came and gave specific things. Let's look back at 4 and 5. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Be careful what the boy eats. Be careful. He's going to be a Nazarite. And the word Nazarite simply means separated or consecrated. He's going to be separated from me. He's going to be consecrated from me. You can read all about it in chapter 6 of the book of Numbers. You are the Old Testament book of Judges that you've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives you a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The Israelites seem to cycle through a pattern. They follow God, turn away from Him, become aware of their sin, and finally repent and step back onto God's path. Each time, God brings a judge to lead them creatively back to himself. 
showing His power and mercy time and time again. Israel's history is one we still see today. Many people fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. They follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of their errors. God is always faithful to forgive, though, when you come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day, and He's big enough to cover every mistake from your life. We're so glad you tuned in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry, or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assureHoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Be sure to check out the service times and directions to Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Thanks for being part of our time here today on Assure Hope.